Good morning. Please stand me and read, stand with me and read responsively the call to worship from Isaiah 32. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, your islands and all who live in them. Let us pray. Faithful God, you draw near to us in our joy and in our grief, in our hope and in our despair. When we are bowed down, you raise us anew. We turn to you now in search of your healing touch, God of compassion and love. Move among us this hour. Open our eyes, dispel our fears, and show us the life, the real life you have to offer. We pray this in the name of the risen one, Jesus the Christ. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. I kind of thought that uh, maybe with the, a lot of the flu going around, maybe a greeting time today might not be the wisest thing to do. If you want to, to do that on your own before after the service, I'll leave it up to you, but we won't, we won't make you do it this morning. We uh, want to remind those of you uh, who are coming, and even if you're not, we'd love to invite you to the potluck we're hosting right after this service. It's a chance for college students and folks uh, who are uh, year-round residents of the community to spend some time together eating a meal. If you came and you weren't prepared, didn't bring food, that's okay. I'm sure we'll have plenty of food. Just help yourself. Go right over to the community room and enjoy that time together. We have the privilege this morning of dedicating another of our children to God. So I'm going to ask uh, Bill John and Yulia to come. Bill John and Yulia, God has blessed you with this little one. And today you come to dedicate God's gift back to him. You are here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ. And in this public act of dedication, you are declaring your desire that she would be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of this church. In this act, you are welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that she would learn early the things of God and that her life would be defined by a lifelong commitment to follow God, that she might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over her education that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, and that you will direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct her feet to the sanctuary, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so with the help of the Lord? In Mark's gospel, the 10th chapter, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them. And bless them. What name have you given your child? Daria Louise. On behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you, Daria Louise Newborough, to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned, when we dedicate our children to God, this is really bringing together threefold covenant that were being being made around her, surrounding her. God is sort of at the base of this triangle, and he is the foundation. And we know God loves her and is already at work in her heart and her life. Bill, John, and Yulia have declared their desire to be one side of that triangle and their desire to do everything they can to help her know Christ and to be nurtured in the faith. But we also have a responsibility, and we're the other side of the triangle. As the church, we have a great influence upon her life in structured settings and in spontaneous ways. But uh, So I want to invite you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Daria and to this family.
As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Daria grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her and be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of children. We know that they are precious to you. And our desire is that they would be just as precious to us. We ask, Father, today and we give you thanks for Daria and pray for your grace on her young life. Even as a a small child, may she begin to have a yearning for you. That she would see you for who you are and that her heart would always be turned to you. We pray, Father, that your grace would rest upon her and through the ups and the downs of her life and through the struggles and the victories, may her heart be yours every moment. Father, pray for Bill, John, and Yulia as parents. Give them all of the grace that they need to nurture their little girl in the faith. May they have wisdom and courage and insight and all that they need in this task that in many ways is beyond them, and yet in your grace you give your sufficient to help them. I pray, Father, for Juliana as a big sister. May her life be so wrapped up in you that her little sister wants to emulate her and follow her. And I pray that you would bless her life as well. Lord, may your blessing be upon this little one that you've given to us, She is yours, and we lovingly, joyfully give her to you. We ask for your grace on her life now and always, and we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Over the course of the last few months, uh, one of the Things we've been trying to incorporate in our worship services are brief ministry spots to just give you a chance to hear a little bit about what's happening in some of the ministries of our church, and we're going to continue to do that. But we also want to uh, to also have opportunity to give uh, people a chance to share a bit of what God is doing in their lives. And so I've asked Tim Nichols if he would share just a few moments this morning about uh, the things of God in his life, particularly over the last few months as he's been through some difficult experiences. And so uh, let's open our hearts as he shares with us. Hey, thank you for the invitation to share with you this morning. I appreciate that. Some of you know in varying degrees about what's been going on with me, but uh, last fall when I was as uh, healthy as I thought any 50 or, I mean, 30-something should be. I, uh, I had some minor chest pains that landed me in the ER, um, and, uh, uh, and they didn't find anything that day. But as a routine follow-up, I was down at Jones Hospital, and a sharp technician down there detected a mitral valve problem, and they were, in fact, concerned enough about it that they packed me into an ambulance and sent me to Strong that night. Um, when I had left for the academy that morning, I hadn't even known that I had a mitral valve, let alone that something could go so gravely wrong with it that it would threaten my life. Um, up at Strong, I had a catheterization that revealed severe mitral valve prolapse or something like that, and, rec- and they recommended immediate surgery. 
Um, uh, after talking it over with, with Olga and the kids, we decided I should probably have it done in Virginia where they'd be there to take care of me. Um, so that night, and Kathy brought me home from Strong, and I was sitting in my house trying to think about packing up for weeks and trying to come up with some kind of a plan for a, a sub who was going to have to finish the semester for me and figure out what to bring and what to do with the animals. And I also found myself kind of walking around the house and wondering whether I'd make it to come back. Um, the, the next day, we drove 12 hours down to Virginia, went straight to the emergency room where I was admitted and began a 20-day hospital stay. Um, I had the surgery on November 20th, and as you may have noticed, I did live. Um, I was able to, I, I, I actually got a nationally renowned surgeon down there um, and, uh, and had great care from him and from the hospital staff and from Olga. And in fact, my recovery has gone more quickly and smoothly than, the, than the, my cardiologists anticipated. And, and so seven weeks after surgery, I was able to return to teaching. Um, being back here today, being back at school and here with you folks, I, I look back on it now and wonder, did that even really happen? Or did I wander into the twilight zone or something? Um, but indeed, it really did. I've got a seven-inch scar as a souvenir, which I'll spare you from showing it to you today. Um, but I, I do have a couple of, of precious memories and uh, lessons I thought I might share with, with you. And forgive me in advance if I get um, emotional. I, I always am anyway. Uncle Bruce called it, used to call it the Brenneman blubber, and I've been more emotional than usual since the surgery, especially as I think back over God's provision and care for me. Um, that very first day up at Strong, before I knew that anyone back here had even known about it, uh, my cell phone rang, and it was Pastor Wes saying, I heard what's happening. Can I pray with you? And that's when Wes had done that three years ago when I had cancer, and he had done it nine years ago when I lost my job. So I'm very grateful for our pastor and for the grapevine that he has. Um, uh, on that uh, morning as I was ta being taken down to, to surgery, um, right at the time my surgery was starting, my students and colleagues at the academy gathered together in the commons to pray for me, to lift me up at a time when I needed it most. <clears throat> and <clears throat> on a year that I thought that the Grinch had somehow stopped Christmas from coming, um, Olga and I were able to come back from Virginia just in time for Christmas, and I found that my kids had come in early and decorated the house inside and out, and the Christmas decorations had never looked more beautiful, and Christmas had never seemed sweeter to me. Throughout <clears throat> um, this whole ordeal, I felt very loved and blanketed in prayer and support from family and friends and from all of you here at church. Um, as I, uh, um, as I lay in, in bed in, in Virginia awaiting surgery, I, I found myself thinking about all of this and thinking about, I, mean, I, had, can I had cancer in 1994 and again in 2015, and then I was having open-heart surgery, and I thought, you know, is God trying to tell me something, and if so, what is it? Because I really don't want a fourth lesson. Um, and so... Uh, uh, a couple thoughts I've had in terms of trying to make sense of it or sort it out for myself. When I had that false alarm back in September, it was kind of an annoying nuisance. I 
I missed my mom's 85th birthday celebration. I missed work for a few days. I ended up with the big hospital bills, both at Cuba and Olean and for an ambulance. And ironically, this week, my cardiologist told me that those chest pains I experienced had nothing to do with my mitral valve. It was, it was something else unrelated to my heart because she said that all my uh, arteries are completely clear. But I had this astonishing realization that what if that hadn't happened? Um, a doctor down in, in, at Centara, my hospital in Virginia, told Olga and me that if they'd not caught it when they did, uh, it would likely have been a life-ending event, he said, which are kind of staggering words to hear. So I find myself thinking about what are we to do with life's annoyances and problems like my inconvenient chest pains last September. I think we're quick to look for God's blessings and the good things in life, and both myself and different Christian friends that, you know, we say and we post on Facebook, I'm so blessed because of this or that, or, you know, I got a job or we had a baby or we bought a house or something. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's much harder to see and accept uh, and appreciate uh, the aggravations and the misfortunes we encounter in life. So often I've found myself thinking back to what uh, Betsy Ten Boom said to her sister Corey when they were in the concentration camp at Ravensbrück, and she told her to thank God for the fleas. Um, and I, I realize that uh, it, it's harder for us to thank God for, for chest pains and for fleas and for all the, the blessings he rains down on us. Um, I realize also how frequently God has spoken to me in both good times and bad, and how much more often it's in a still, small voice rather than a loud roar. Um, That which I saw as bad, God used for good. Uh, Even Olga's and my strange, uh, long-distance commuter marriage that we're having to endure right now ended up serving to land me at one of the best heart hospitals in the whole country. And I resolve... I, I want to resolve from now on to look for God, both in the good and in the bad. I, I may have some student that I feel like might be the hardest one to love, and yet it's the very one that God has brought into my life for me to love and to, and, and, and to teach me something. Um, during the week or so that I had to anticipate surgery, I'm uh, uh, wondering what was going to happen. I also got kind of a valuable lesson in, in priorities and evaluating my life. Um, Almost everything that had seemed enormously important to me in the morning of November 7th did not seem important at all that night. Um, And instead of worrying about grading papers and paying bills and Christmas shopping and and getting the car inspected, which, by the way, I totally forgot to do, uh, I found myself wondering if my life had mattered and what kind of a legacy I was leaving for my kids um, and had I fulfilled God's purpose for me in this world? And, and, and did my students know that I love them? Or do they only think I love history and homework? Um, uh, and, I, um, and something I came out of this with um, was thinking about all the people that, that God used uh, to minister to me throughout this whole adventure, Olga and Aunt Kathy and Suzanne and the Smithleys and total strangers down in Virginia. One of them kept my, my collie Tilly for me for five weeks, and I didn't even know her. Um, my favorite nurse at Centara, who, uh, when she got transferred to another floor and had, was, had been on her feet all night for a 12-hour shift, would come sit with me in the morning to see how I was doing. Somebody who I still don't know who it was showed up to mow my lawn while I was away. Um, All of these people uh, were Christ to me. 
And, and who does God need to use me for in that same way? And, and how can I be a vessel of love uh, to others and to those around me and to my students and my children? And, and will I be able to listen and hear that call uh, uh, to that privilege? And so I feel incredibly fortunate that I got not just a second, but a third or fourth or whatever I'm up to by now, a uh, chance to get it right this time. And I, while I still don't know what lies ahead, um, I... Uh, I, I did, uh, when I returned to school a couple of weeks ago, I found this on the wall of the classroom. It's the Academy's uh, verse of the month for January. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, big red letters. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And I think that's enough for me to know right now. Thank you for the chance to share with you. The Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm number 146. Praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. 
Do not put your trust in princes or in mortals who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me and sing the doxology as the ushers come forward. Giver of all good things, let your grace flow through us, a generous stream, unstoppable, refreshing, abundant. We release these gifts into your river of love, flowing out to all the world. Amen.
Please join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. We confess to you, Lord, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit, even to ourselves, what lies in the depths of our souls. We do not, however, want to hide our true selves from you. We believe that you know us as we are, and yet you still love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to love ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt and fear and take us into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask that you would break our bondage and set us free. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. You hear our prayers of confession. You hear our prayers of praise and adoration. You hear our prayers of intercession. We pray now, Lord, that you will, you will help us as we come together this day. We pray that you will help us as a congregation and beyond. We pray for that you would bring comfort to all who are grieving. We pray that you would bring healing to all who are sick and, and struggling with, with issues of health. We pray that you would restore broken relationships, that you would give us faith and peace about the future. We pray that, that you would relieve our fears and give us hearts to trust. Father, we thank you for this congregation and all the ways in which we serve one another. And we also thank you for the churches around us. We pray today for First Baptist Church in Hume and Pastor Stroud. May your grace and blessing be upon this gathering of believers as they worship today and as they serve you every day. We pray, Father, for uh, the community around us and the county and the needs. And we think particularly of Royal Family Kids Camp and the privilege we have to be a part of nurturing young children who have great needs. We pray, Father, that you would bless the leaders of the camp as they make plans and preparations. We pray that you would bring people to serve. We ask that you would anoint this week, that during this week of camp, lives would be changed as children, maybe for the first time, are introduced to you. We pray, Father, for our nation, and we ask that you would, you would lead and guide the leaders of our nation, and help, help each one who is in a position of leadership to want what you want more than anything else. We pray for people in our country and in other places of the world who are suffering from tragedies and from disasters. May your continued grace and help be upon them. And may your church be present also. We think of your church around the world and Specifically today in Saudi Arabia, a very difficult place for Christians to live out their faith. 
We are seeing signs of progress, and we thank you for that. And we pray that religious freedom would be coming. Whatever the the state, we pray that, that you would give to your children, to our brothers and sisters, courage and faith and hope and love in the midst of the stress and the difficulty of their environment. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers, the ones we pray today and every day. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand with me for the reading of God's gospel. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit on on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. 
His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Do not go into the village. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. There's probably something in all of us that that wants life to be more than it is. Even even the best of circumstances in our lives. There is something in us that is hoping there's more. And I think that is something that God has placed within us because when God creates people, He creates us to be whole. He creates us to flourish. 
One of the things I love about reading the first couple of chapters of Genesis is you get this image of God's design for all of creation, particularly for human beings. This design of flourishing and wholeness. But as we are probably aware, our sin marred that. It skewed that. It it, it, it presented us, it, it provided us with a, an existence now in which everything is out of kilter. Our sin and the evil of the world and the brokenness of the world creates a circumstance in which, in which we, we don't experience the kind of wholeness and flourishing that God intended for us. And there is a struggle within our own spirit about ourselves. There's a struggle in, in how we understand God. There is a struggle in how we relate to each other. When we read the Gospels in particular, we read the Gospels and we see stories of Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons and setting people free and restoring relationships. What we're really seeing is a glimpse into the eternal kingdom of God. What we are seeing when Jesus does this is, is a, an image, a picture, a glimpse of God's creation, of God's, of all that God has made and God's kingdom restored that we will experience on the day that Jesus comes and reappears and all is put to right. But I think there is something probably a little bit unique, a little nuance to each of the stories that we hear and we read from Jesus. There certainly is in this story that we read this morning. I think this story probably is centered in the question that Jesus asked this man. The interesting thing about this story is that it, it takes Jesus two times of putting his hand on the man's eyes for him to be completely healed. I don't understand exactly why that's the case, but I, but I don't think that's coincidental. I, I get the feeling that there is something underneath that story and that experience that is saying to us, among other things, saying to us, don't settle for life as it is. Don't settle for the vision you have of God and of others and of the world. Because God wants to give you such clearer vision if you'll let him. God wants to give us clearer vision. But the problem is we so often are willing to settle with what we can see. It's what we, we find Jesus saying to, um, to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. He says to them, look, I want, you to, I want you to buy gold that I'm providing. I want you to buy clothes. But he also says, I want you to buy salve to put on your eyes. Because your eyes are not seeing things clearly. And what is it that Laodicea is, is convicted of? What is the problem in Laodicea, the center core problem? It's lukewarmness. They don't want to be cold, but they don't want to be hot either. And they've just decided Jesus has done enough for us, and we're just going to settle right here. And he says, no, that's not what my people do. You know, I had no idea what I was missing until the first time I saw HD television. You all have that experience? I mean, I thought it can't be that much different. It's all the same, right? 
And then I watch a golf match. It's like, wow, I've never seen green so green and so clear. And everything was, was amazing. And I thought, wow, I can't go back. Right? And in fact, now, if I try to watch a channel that's not digital and it's analog, I can't watch it. It hurts my eyes. It gives me a headache. Like, we can't watch that. It's just, it, it's, it's too harsh. And they're always creating new ways of, of you know, of televisions. Now there's 4K and I read about 8K. And probably someday people are going to look back and say, how do you watch HD? That hurts my eyes to watch that. But, you know, I never realized it until I saw it. And I think Jesus is, is trying to give us a glimpse, a picture of something more, how we can have such better vision in this world. Because having clearer vision means we have a clearer vision of God. We have a clearer vision of who God is and what God is doing. Because so often in our world of brokenness and pain and agony and difficulties and darkness and evil and struggle, we, we wonder, where is God? Is God even around? Is God doing anything? We, we question. And the problem is not that God is absent. The problem is we need clearer vision to see him. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is 2 Kings chapter 6. And the king of Aram is upset with Elisha the prophet. And so he sends his army down to Israel and he surrounds his house. And in the morning, the servant of Elisha comes out and sees this army all around him, chariots and horses. And he runs back in the house and he says, Master, you're not going to believe what's outside. We're surrounded. We're dead. And Elisha says, the army with us is greater than the army you can see. I can imagine the servant pulling back the curtain, looking out the window and looking at the two of them and thinking, really? There's a whole bunch out there and two of us in here. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. What he needs is vision. And God opens his eyes and he sees God's army. We need vision to see God. The problem is not God. The problem is us. God is at work. God is doing more than we dream or imagine. We just need to see it. It's one of the reasons why we come together for worship. Because we're reminded in the songs we sing, in the prayers we pray, in the scriptures we read, who God is and what God is doing. And and even as Tim shared this morning, just a, a reminder to us, God is at work. It's funny to me, to me that we still are hesitant. I wonder if it's because sometimes we have this sneaking suspicion that when God gives us clearer vision, it's probably going to be a messy and disruptive process. I want God to, to change things without asking anything of me. But it doesn't seem to work that way. This story is a bit unique, not only because it takes Jesus twice to heal the man, but also the way Jesus heals him. We have stories in the Gospels of Jesus spitting on the ground and spitting in his hands, but this time he spits right on the guy's eyes. I'm thinking to myself, if I were me, I'd be asking, there's not a no spitting option to this healing? Would that not be possible to do that? And when he asked him, can you see anything now? I'd want to say, well, that depends. Is there going to be more spitting or are we done with that? You know, it's like, whoa. I have to tell you, I did read that spitting on people's eyes was one of the healing, ways of healing in that ancient culture. But you look at that and we think, you know, it, it, it's messy. 
And we'd rather avoid that. We want to get away from it. It's disruptive to us. We're comfortable. Life is okay. Do we see that well? No, not really. But life is comfortable. And we like comfortable. But God wants us more than comfortable. He wants us to be able to see things that we couldn't see before. And we have to let him do that, even though it may be disruptive and messy. There's a story in John 5 of a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to be healed? What kind of a question is that? I mean, of course he wants to be healed. Fascinating to me, though, that's not his answer. His answer is, well, this, uh, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. He gives excuses to why he's not healed. And I get the feeling there's something in the back of his mind that's thinking, if Jesus heals me, I'm going to have to be responsible for my life. Whereas now, I'm paralyzed, but everybody takes care of me, and I don't have to do anything. And God is saying to us, you want to be healed. There's more. I also wonder if our hesitancy isn't, isn't rooted in the fact that we somehow realize that when you see clearly, you see clearly. You see everything. And that means you not only see God at work, you see pain that much more clearly. It is awesome. To, I can't imagine that the, the emotion, the feeling of being for the first time seeing a sunrise and a sunset and a rainbow and little children giggling and smiling. And then you realize that as awesome as that is, you turn around and you also see garbage and trash and things that turn your stomach. And painful things. And there's a part of us that says, I want to run away from that. And that the, the bad things, the ugly things are too overwhelming. And maybe it's worth not seeing God to not have to see those things. Because you either we see or we don't see. Either we have clear vision or we don't have clear vision. And we're going to see those things. And it also causes us to see people differently. We begin to see people as they are. Not just what they do and say. It's interesting to me that when Jesus asks him, can you see anything now? The man says, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. When our vision is blurred, people kind of seem like objects to us. And objects are things that we use. It's an ongoing discussion, argument Jesus has with the the religious leaders. They have no problem using people to make their arguments, using people to trick Jesus, using people to back Jesus into a corner. And Jesus refuses to do that. They bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. They don't care about her. They don't care about the shame she's feeling. They don't care about how embarrassed she is. They don't care anything about why this is happening. All they care about is this is somebody I can use to trick Jesus. That's what happens when our vision is distorted and blurred. Because all we're thinking about is ourselves. When we start getting clearer vision, we start seeing past people's actions and words and into the heart of who they are. We start asking not just, why are you doing that, but what's motivating you? What's the hurt? What's the pain? What's the struggle that you've been through? And while before we had that kind of clear vision, we look at people who disagree with us as the enemy. 
look at people who, who are different from us as people we crush and we have to defeat and we have to overcome and they're less than us. But as our vision begins to clear, we start seeing them as people who are loved by God. As people who are broken and hurting. We start seeing them the way Jesus does. In Mark chapter 6, tells us that Jesus and his disciples were trying to get away from the people. But when Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. His stomach churned with compassion for these people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He could have looked at them and said, what is wrong with you people? Don't you ever get it? Don't you know anything about what it means to follow God? But he doesn't because he realizes they don't know anything. The shepherds that God appointed to teach them haven't done their duty. And these people are wandering aimlessly. And God and Jesus sees that. A few hours later, the disciples look on that same crowd who are now hungry from not having eaten all day. And they say to Jesus, get rid of them. Send them away. They're a nuisance to us. We need the vision of Jesus. Again, this is not just something personal. It's not just personal vision. It's corporate vision. Scriptures are always trying to help us understand the corporate nature of our faith. And to have corporate vision is to, is to create an atmosphere where we help each other see more clearly. Mark tells us that this event takes place in the city of Bethsaida. Bethsaida in Scripture is famous for two things. It is the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip, three of the disciples. And it's also one of the cities in which Jesus speaks a woe against. You don't want Jesus to say woe against you. That's a bad thing. And he says, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented of their sins, even though you haven't. And he says, they are a faithless, doubting people. Maybe that's why Jesus, when the blind man comes to him, Jesus takes him by the hand and does this strange thing. He leads him outside of the city. And when he's done, he says to him, don't go back to the city. I think it's because that city is going to, it's going to sap all of your faith. They're going to make it difficult for you to keep following me and to believe that I've really done something for you. So avoid that. And it makes me think, what kind of a church are we? Are we a church that's, that's, that's creating an atmosphere of faith and sight and vision and the great things of God? Or are we hindering that? Are we holding it back? Are we saying, oh, I don't know. That's a little too risky. That's kind of outside my comfort zone. What kind of a church are we? What atmosphere are we creating? What are we doing? Are we helping each other see Jesus more clearly? Challenging each other in our faith and encouraging each other to faith. And being a place where we come together every week and as we live our lives throughout the week, there is this innate sense of expectation about God and the Holy Spirit doing things that we couldn't dream or imagine in us corporately and individually. We want to be this kind of church that, that creates an atmosphere of faith and vision and a desire for that, not the opposite. I'm convinced that clearer vision inspires clearer vision. 
When people begin to see things more clearly, they inspire other people to see things more clearly. Someone said to me last week that when they were young, I don't know, third or fourth grade, they got their first pair of glasses. And they said it's like the world just kind of came alive for them. They were one of those students that no one could figure out why they weren't doing well. And it's because they couldn't see. They said for the next few days, they walked around with their mom saying, do you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? And went, yeah, yeah, I see it. I see it. I've seen it for years. But you know, those kinds of people inspire us to see things that, quite frankly, we often miss. People who are new to a place see things that those of us who've been at that place for a long time ignore. We need people who are sensing God at work in their life, challenging us and encouraging us to clearer vision like God has given them. I've, I've had eye trouble since I was a, a child. I probably got glasses in third or fourth grade. And through the years, I've had glasses. I've had contacts, hard contacts, soft contacts, other, all kinds of different glasses. I remember in seminary, I went to the optometrist to get glasses. I said, I want glasses that make me look smart. He said, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, <laughs> it's a challenge. It's too big of a challenge. But going to the ophthalmologist is always frustrating to me. And it's frustrating to me for two reasons. One is, when they put that little thing, machine, on your eyes, and they start asking you questions. Which is better, one or two? I don't know. They look kind of the same to me. All right, three or four? Can I go back to one again? Um, Five or six? I don't know. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is the pressure for the next five years. I'm deciding whether I'm going to be able to see or not based on the, the answer I give to the questions. And, and they, they look so much the same to me. Now, if you give me 10 and 1, okay, I can tell the difference between those and I got that. But it's hard. I don't know if you have that experience, but you find it very difficult to know the difference between them. But I also have astigmatism. And that means that when they, when they put that chart up on the wall that with the lights light up the letters on a dark wall, all the light kind of bleeds out of the letters. And there's sort of this halo of light around every single one of those letters and words. And, and I want the ophthalmologist to fix that. I want the ophthalmologist to take that away and that the letters no longer have that halo and get that thing out of there so I can see the straight lines of all these different letters. And she says, I'm doing the best that I can, but you have a condition and there's nothing you can really do about it. And some of you probably have know what I'm talking about with your own things. And it's frustrating to me because I want to see perfectly. And she does the best that she can, but because of my condition, there are limitations. The day is coming when we will see perfectly. We will see God. We'll see each other. We'll see ourselves clearly and perfectly. And it will be a glorious day. But until that day, it's never going to be quite perfect. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that now we see imperfectly. The day will come when we will see face to face. And we read that and we we think sometimes, well, then what difference does it make? 
we can't see perfectly, why bother? Because God is saying to us, you can always see more clearly than you do. And I want you to have clearer vision more and more as each day goes along. I want you to be able to see me more clearly and to see people, even though it may be agonizing sometimes, and to see me at work and to see yourself for who you are, my beloved child. And Jesus is the great ophthalmologist who keeps working on our eyes if we will let him. And so he's asking us, he's he's done work on us and he's asking us, can you see anything now? But he's also asking us, do you want to see more clearly? Father, in this moment of silence, as we ponder those questions, hear our prayers. Father, thank you not only for hearing our prayers, but for answering our prayers. Through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.